live from New York. This is BIM Radio. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> That's not confusing at all, right? <laughs> it's like in New Jersey, not New York. From from not Nairobi, but yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> not confusing at all. But strangely awesome. Mm-hmm. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Beam Radio. Hello and welcome to this episode of Beam Radio. I am one of several fabulous co-hosts with us today. I am Sophie DiBenedetto. I am joined by Bruce Tate. Welcome, Bruce. Hi, from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, Bruce, we're excited to hear about how Gig City went last week. So maybe you could give us a little update about that in a minute. Uh, we've also got Lars Vickman. Hi, Lars. Hello. And Meryl Deacon. Hey, Meryl. Hi, good to be here. And I'm told that Meryl recently got a haircut, so you guys can just DM her your compliments about that later on. And I am very excited for our guest today, uh, a friend of the show. I'll say I feel like you are a friend of the show. We have with us Sigu Magua. Hey, Sigu. Hey, Sophie. Thank you so much. Live from New Jersey. <laughs> Live from New Jersey instead of yeah. Kenya. I believe you currently live in Nairobi. Is that right? Um, I live in Or you're a from town. Nairobi, you live somewhere else now. Yeah, I yeah. live in a city called Kisumu. It's very close to Nairobi. Yes, it's on the extreme. I feel west. like you may yeah. have done um you may have done similarly to what I did. Like I was living in New York and then I moved to a town that's like outside of New York. Exactly. So maybe similar journeys. Uh, definitely looking forward to hearing about what that transition is like. But first, I'll finish your intro. Um, Sigu, some of you guys uh, who are listening may know, is the founder of Podi, which is a company out of Kenya that works with Elixir. He has done some contracting at, is it P-U-L-P-O? Am I saying that right? Or do you actually pronounce the word Pulpo in Germany? It's Pulpo, yes. Pulpo, Pulpo in Germany. Yes. Yeah, and Sigu is one of the first Elixir users in Kenya. He's played an instrumental role in kind of growing Elixir adoption there, growing the Elixir community there. Uh, I think we're very excited to hear about all of that and more. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So excited. So we've got a ton of questions for you, actually, about a couple of the things that I just mentioned and some more things. You also gave a talk at Gig City last week, I believe, about observability in Elixir which is a topic that I love to dig into. So I'm very excited to see that. But before we get into any of that, we always love to ask our guests when they come on to tell us a little bit about their background in Elixir. What got you interested in Elixir? What was your journey into the Elixir community like? All right. Um, I guess I can start this by explaining my journey into software programming and how it ended up in Elixir. So um, I went to the university and did electrical and electronics engineering. After that, I got a job in a, um, I actually worked in a bank for two weeks. It was too boring for me. So I left the (laughs) banking job, looked for an electrical engineering job, uh, worked in it for exactly nine months. Again, uh, there was a lot of repetition and uh, just the same old standard being used over and over. And um, it's probably because back then I had a lot of, and maybe to date, I had a lot of the shiny object syndrome. I would chase mm-hmm. after moving targets, which was really exciting for me. So um, I quit that job and uh, started, um, went out to try and sell software to um, high schools in Kenya. Uh, During that, I stumbled upon an open source project that was written on Ruby on Rails. So I sat down and studied a little bit of Ruby on Rails so that I could be able to adapt it to every school. That is how I landed on Ruby on Rails. No technical uh, decision, not not really any good decision as to landing on Ruby on Rails. Then um, I worked with Ruby on Rails for quite a while. And I joined an online community, uh, Agile Ventures, which was really big in teaching and mentoring people um, getting started in software development. Uh, in one of the sessions for Agile Development, or Agile Ventures, they, they were going through a book, and the book was by Dave Thomas. 
on learning Elixir. So uh, the founder, Sam, reached out and told me uh, they're going through a very exciting book. It's a functional programming book. Uh, it's something he thinks I might be interested in, so I should join in. So I joined in. Uh, it really messed up my way of thinking about code It because I had done a little bit of production code in Ruby. So my mind was a little messed. And again, shiny object syndrome. Got so excited about it, and I was like, this looks like a very interesting thing to do. So I read the book. Uh, it was a book club. So we went through the book as a book club. And uh, interestingly, a client showed up. By then, Podi was alive. So a client showed up and uh, I gave the client a month to do the job, which normally would have taken me about a week just so that I could do it in Elixir. That was the first time I wrote my Elixir production code. The server is up to date. Uh, we rarely maintain it. It works and it does micro finance payments. So it deals with money, rarely goes wrong, never goes down. That's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very, very good pitch for a first project. <laughs> yeah. So what was it about Elixir? that captivated you that that made it a shiny object and not just another one of the dull also rounds also runs yeah um i think the fact that i had to change about uh, my thoughts about how i deal with things and uh, the the fact that we did away with the black the black box of how things work just not calling user.save and hoping that things work the fact that I had to be explicit in what I do and I I could follow exactly what's happening without necessarily um, getting a, a, a level deeper into the framework to understand how things work. That's one of the things that I really loved about uh, Ecto and the Phoenix framework when I was introduced to it. I, I had a look at it and um, looking at the data and just piping it through until you get to your last level, that was like uh, the best way of thinking about code. I've tried going back to other program uh, object-oriented or uh, yeah, object-oriented paradigm languages. It really, again, it's hard to try and know where things are changing and how they're changing. So I would like to hear about Podi. So you've talked about your own Elixir story. Mm. But but when we met, there might have been like four to six people regularly using Elixir. And that was what? Was that 2019 or 2020? It was uh, probably 2019. Probably. I think that's I think that's probably right. So you had yeah. you know four people that are, that were pretty regular Elixir users and then a few more. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to where we are today, but how was it establishing new programmers that didn't have experience with functional programming languages? Uh, what was it that made Elixir something that could be approached and attacked and something that you could sell locally? All right. Um, that's usually a pretty tough question uh, to respond to because, uh, so first of all, um, training of the software engineers, um, it was a little bit easy because some of them, that was their first language. So they, yeah, that some of them, that was their first language and first framework. So they could easily understand what's going on. If I explained it to them the way I understand. Uh, I'm also a trainer by uh, passion, probably. So breaking down concepts and just explaining to them how the functional things work really worked out for me and um, the other reason as to why i requested for a month rather than a week was because i also gave out some of the work to the people i was working with to be able to understand how to build the production ready work which we accomplished that in about three weeks so that's interesting that you say that it's easier to teach a first language that's a functional one um could you say a little bit more about that? What makes it what makes it easier to teach somebody with no programming experience than somebody with, with object-oriented experience? Okay. Um, so the fact that you can your encapsulation is in form of functions, 
rather than magic really made it awesome to train and teach elixir um, a lot of magic back then was happening through phoenix the framework on macros and only on macros and it it's usually encouraged that no one uses macros unless they have to use macros so most of the black boxing stuff was really put away from us and it was easy to explain to uh, a new user how you get uh, the params from the form how you process the params how you sanitize the params how you save it and how you handle failure and just bring it back it's a really uh, transparent process from the beginning to the end you could see everything and how it works so the user could visualize and see exactly what's happening yeah so that's that's fascinating and, and by the way i can vouch for sigu's um experience and uh, and talent as an instructor we we taught a um what was it components a, a love yeah. you components class yeah and uh you know i would be going full steam and and sophie has seen this happen and I'm so involved in my own explanation and, and all the students are just dead lost. Right. And Sagu would say, Hey, a word, please. <laughs> right. And then he would break, he would break into, he would say, okay, so everybody get out, you know, he would pass out pens and post-its. And then we would say, he would say, cover up this letter. Okay. That's a functional transformation. And, you know, you see the thing that you did, that's a plug. So you're playing the role of Phoenix and, you know, then, then everybody would say, oh, and then we could kind of, kind of move forward with the class. It was kind of cool experience. Awesome. It was a really nice experience uh, for the training. Mostly um, after about 30 minutes of explanation, then we now do a real world uh, gamification of what has just happened. Uh, I remember we gamified the plug. Yes, the Phoenix plug uh, from the endpoint all the way to the router. So um, when we started the session, uh, every person did an introduction of themselves and where they're from and something fun to do. So we used that to explain what a plug is. Um, so we start with something empty, then data is added onto it as it goes by until it comes back saturated. So yeah, that was one of the awesome explanations that we did. Yeah, which is cool because people can see it play out. Now, I didn't plan this. Sigu just kind of like, <laughs> he, he gloved onto it, right? So we we basically collected names as we went around. And uh, so you know, suddenly everyone was a plug and you add one more name to the list and then everybody knows everybody's name and everybody understands how plugs work, <laughs> which is not the usual experience in one of my classes. That's such a good idea. How fun to incorporate that in such a simple way. Um, to get people to understand just how that is, how that looks and how that's functioning. And you said that's not something that you've done before. You haven't tried that exercise in other places. Not like that. So this is the first time that we've ever had the opportunity to teach together. Um, I mean, my, my right. idea was that since we were doing a training anyway, um, and Sugu had come from such a, such a long way away, uh, you know, let's, let's kind of break in the introductions by having him meet um, all of the students, but it wouldn't be appropriate to add him as a student because he's already gone through this class and can definitely teach it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and another tough kind of quote unquote thing about it is uh, for you to do um, the real world explanations. Sometimes you don't, you can't plan for them. If you plan for them, it's going to go horribly wrong. So, um, you need to know how and when to give the examples to the class. So it's something you think about on the fly. You don't <laughs> plan them before. It rarely goes wrong. I love training. And um, yes, I've done trainings before, in-person training. That was in 2015 when I was uh, training a group of people on Ruby on Rails. And um, again, we gamified that. We gamified the MVC model, just giving everyone uh, a role. Someone will be the controller, uh, one person will be the view and the model. So the view will talk to the model and the controller and they will pass around information and finally the view gives us exactly what is needed. Uh, that ended up in someone uh, 
he's called Kevin, his official names, but to date he's called Controller. <laughs> Everyone calls Kevin Controller to date. I'm a little bit surprised that Good nickname. the most memorable person was not the model. <laughs> it sounds like it would be. But then again, both model and controller are kind of occupations to some extent, but uh, view, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've ever met someone that works as a view. <laughs> That's more of a TV show. Yeah. I think probably because we'll hit the controller twice for the request and the response, probably. That's a quality joke in a second language. Sig. <laughs> <laughs> so Sigu, can you tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, after Pody got off the ground, after you used Elixir there and kind of started this Elixir adoption journey for all of Kenya, basically, I kind of attribute anyone using Elixir in Kenya to you. Um, tell us more about how adoption kind of grew around the tech community within Kenya from there? What other things have you been involved in that have helped people get interested in adopting Elixir? All right. Um, so, oh yeah, that was, I think that was about 2019. Um, I remember we were in the office at Podi and um, I told everyone that we are going to behave like mad people just about the four five of us we're going to behave like mad people and we're going to do something the something that we're going to do is just to be consistent and we're going to be consistent with meetups every monday at one o'clock we're going to go online every monday at one o'clock and do something to do with elixir we did this for a couple of months only we in the office will attend and sometimes one or two people from the out outside will uh, join in and go through the code wars. So we started by going through the website called code wars to solve problems in Elixir. After we solve the problems, we look at other people's solution and all this, we will stream it live. That was back when YouTube still allowed you to stream directly to the YouTube. Yeah. The API was still available. So we did this very consistently every Monday at 1 p.m. This grew and a couple of people got interest in uh, joining in. And um, I think we had a group of about 10 regular uh, people joining into this. Then again, we decided to do another higher level of madness and start looking for a speaker every month to talk to the few of us who are willing to learn. So um, we, our first monthly meetup, uh, which is a, we call it the webinar. It's an one hour speaker time. You just share with the community what you have. Was done by someone actually from Podi. I think the second one was also done with someone from Podi. And in the meantime, we were looking for any other non-Podian, we call them Podians. So any other non-Podian to join in the webinar. So after a while, we got a breakthrough. Um, I can't remember our first guest, but I remember definitely Bruce was our guest. We were so happy. And the international uh, recognition and the international community coming into the webinars actually increased the level of attending of the webinars because those were names that now people could relate to those were names that people could associate with um so we, we started getting more and more people joining in but again we used to do the monday meetups very consistently whether there's someone or not we started doing the monthly ones and uh, we got to a point where we made it such that a podium will only be a backup speaker not the main speaker you will not speak unless we don't have a speaker and we'll not have a speaker two weeks to the event. So it's been uh, it's been growing, mostly with the international uh, speakers joining in. It's it's really been speaking picking up. Um, one of my friends, again a member of the Elixir community, who also encouraged me to create the community, pitched to me the idea of having the conference. So we started by having our first virtual conference. 
2020 or 2021. I'm not sure about the year, but uh, we tried it. It worked. A lot of support from the Elixir companies and communities, and that was our first ever conference. So the community has grown from having a few people in an office doing month weekly streams of what they're doing in Elixir to having monthly guests sharing with us the webinars to now having yearly events which we call the conferences so those are the three things that we do to keep the community active and working um i've just remembered something else that we used to do it's uh doing community projects uh, when i say community pro- projects open source projects run by community members so one of them was building a wrapper around uh, our payment system so that someone can easily get started in Elixir. You just add that and you put in your API key and you should be ready to make your payments, uh, receive payments, make payments, and do almost everything to do with mobile money. Uh, mobile money is very big in Kenya. Yeah. I think I've said everything from top, bottom, left, right. <laughs> <laughs> You've covered it all. Um yeah. You mentioned the, this conference. I don't think you've mentioned it by name. Are you talking about ElixirConf Africa that's coming up? Yes. Yes, we are talking you want to about Elixir Africa. You tell us more Elixir about Conf it? Africa. I'm very excited. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've had ElixirConf Africa uh, for the past two, two years, three years. I'm really bad at times. So we've had it virtually because it's always been uh, a lot of pain coordinate and organize and um, this year we're having it uh, at the time of this recording we're going to have it this friday you probably hear this many fridays after (laughs) yeah so we're having our virtual uh, conference this friday Uh, we've had the highest uh, rsvp numbers since we started doing the virtual elixir conf uh, and also very good uh, support from the sponsors and the community um, the speaker lineups is amazing it's a two-day virtual event it's um, the sponsors have actually sponsored all the tickets so it's a free entry um, thank god it's virtual so it's a free entry event for this year yeah that's super cool actually just to roll all the way back to what you were saying about like elixir kenya and yeah. the meetups that was such an interesting experience sitting here over in the other end of the world, kind of up north from you, at least way up north. <laughs> and just seeing like, huh, so that one spoke at Elixir Kenya. Okay, now that one over there spoke at Elixir. Like, I have not seen any Elixir meetups or like Elixir groups in the US or anywhere in Europe pull as much attention as Elixir Kenya. <laughs> just uh, that consistency and kind of gumption to just go out there and do it. Uh, I spoke at ElixirConf uh, Africa last year, and that was a delight. Uh, super fun. Did not have the uh, kind of time for to squeeze it in this year, unfortunately. Uh, but I really recommend people go. It's, it was a super, super fun giving a talk there. You actually got my first conference talk on elixir ever so yeah i'm clapping over here thank you also Lars. uh your presentation was amazing the presentation itself and what you presented uh it was a lot of amazing and fun stuff to have um it's probably because of the consistency as you've said that uh, also just brings it out over here um we this it's a lot of work to organize a conference and uh, i know everyone who's organized a conference knows this so what i did was just to get someone and pay her to be fully focusing on organizing coordinating the conference and all the work that is needed so it gets it gets a lot of most of the work off my shoulder so most of that work is uh, being coordinated by someone and it's being made possible by the group of volunteers who are looking for sponsors, looking for speakers, coordinating, organizing, communicating, just doing the, we call it the donkey work. So they do the donkey work <laughs> for the conference. 
So Sugu, one of the things that we have in common is that, uh, well, first, let me give a hat tip to you for accumulating the awesome speakers that you've had. Do you want to run through all of the, uh, just just a, a few of the highlights so folks can get an idea of the, the quality that you're bringing to Elixir Kenya? Yes, definitely. So um, we have a diverse group of uh, speakers this year, that is. Um, we have Peter Ulrich from Germany. Um, he'll be speaking about some domain-driven development. You can check this on the website also. Uh, we have uh, Susumo. Yes, Susumo from Japan. He'll also be sharing some nice stuff with us. Uh, we have Raj. I think Raj is from... Uh, no, I'm not trying to go to guess where Raj is from, but he's going to talk about some NX and Bumblebee stuff. We also have uh, Christopher, a Kenyan, sharing with us. Uh, Joshua, Joshua Plick, always amazing to host him. And on the first day, we're going to finish up with Brewstead. We have just one Brewstead for the moment. <laughs> um, we also have Michael uh, going to share with us. We also have a recruiter uh, called Diana who is going to share a lot with us, Aaron Cruz and Joki Kiario from Kenya. So it's a really diverse group of speakers that we're going to get. Gosh, and if you if you add those those names to, you know, the the Dave Thomas and Jose who have been involved in Elixir Kenya um, in either the the monthly meetups or the um, you know the the training groups that we put on together. It's a it's a pretty remarkable job. So um, so thanks for that. But one of the things that I want to talk about now is the idea that we have this common idea of hospitality within a conference. I think everybody on this group, um, it's not a typical group of conference organizers. We appreciate the need to, for for community and diversity and for an elixir world that is kind and respectful to work in for everyone. I really like that. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about what your vision for um, Elixir Kenya is going to be and the idea of maybe tying some time off the conference schedule to do some cool things in um, in Nairobi and in the surrounding area. Cool. That's awesome and great that you asked. So, um... I'm being tempted to make a joke here. So <laughs> the awesome group of volunteers, uh, it's we just spawn off the processes and give three processes to go look for speakers, three processes to go do for um, sponsors, and all the processes report back to their supervisor to tell them exactly what the result has been, and they respond again to go do all that. Now, the processes are busy doing all that, and the supervisor is thinking about next year. So I'm busy here thinking about the conference for next year, though we have the conference this year. Next year, we would love to have a physical conference. The physical conference, um, it's uh, it's actually tied to the talk that I gave at Geek City Elixir. Thank you, Bruce. And uh, I started the conference by giving two sides of a coin and two sides of a story every time you hear about a story, there's always two sides of it. So um, I want to encourage or wanted to encourage a lot of people to come to Nairobi, Kenya and have the conference. But again, most of us know Nairobi or let's say Africa to be good with animals and just wildlife, Mara, my, uh, the, <clears throat> the great wildebeest migration and all that. So the uh, in my mind, I was like, I think we can just fuse the conference with what everyone else knows about Kenya. So what if we have a conference that is a safari? So it's a conference safari. I can see Meryl is very excited about this. <laughs> so it's ElixaConf Safari or Elixir Safari. We'll think about the name probably in the next one month or so. So you come over to Kenya and... We are building an itinerary as we speak of what you can do if you want to be in Kenya for two days, one month, or two months. Or if you want to go around different countries in Africa, we can give you one of the best places to visit. 
So right now we're thinking about giving speakers and attendees uh, complimentary tickets or just giving them a way to pay for their own. And maybe what about have breakfast with the giraffes? It's possible. It happens. What about have a game, game drive on Saturday in the evening? Just go watch the elephants. Go look at the lions. Probably say hi to hyenas in the game park. So <laughs> everyone That's on this call, like our listeners can't see people's faces. Everyone on this call is just quietly cavelling. Like this sounds like a dream come true. And I really want to go right now. This is the wildest. Yes. This is the wildest pitch I've ever heard for a conference. It's like <laughs> I recently came from back from ElixirConf EU in Lisbon. I thought Lisbon was a very nice city. I did not see any lions. I did not eat with any giraffes. <laughs> yeah. There was not. Like, like I, a, we're having events in Brooklyn. Conference. Like I thought that was a draw, but it ditto. No wildlife other than was like, rats. Yeah, we talked so, about like machine learning models and membrane and stuff, and there was no mention of adventure or seeing nature. So yeah, uh, I think you've got something here. <laughs> I'm gonna spend yes. the next year working on a talk so that I can. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. This is my entire. I must have done this. <laughs> Giraffe-driven <laughs> development. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and we're hoping that um, we get enough sponsorship to take care of all the speakers and make this uh, a free thing for them. Just make it possible for the speakers. It doesn't have to be the big animals. Uh, for the butterfly lovers, yes, we have a big forest with a lot of diverse butterfly and uh, buds. So, yes, we are hopefully onto something for the physical Elixir conference. That is the first conference for next year that we already planning in my in my mind. And uh, hopefully in the next month, we'll have more information about it and share it out. I feel like I'm not going to be able to talk about anything at MPEX except the fact that there are not. <laughs> I'm going to just hype this up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys this is pretty cool but there's no lions here sorry no, like mpex had the market cornered on being the coolest elixir conference no offense bruce i think gig city has been known to be the friendliest <laughs> which is not a bad spot to be in like there there are the big elixir confs and then there's been like gig city here it's friendly. Ampex, here it's cool, kind of hip. There's some others that I'm not that familiar with. And here comes like Elixir Safari or Elixir <laughs> Kenyan just like outshining Ampex for cool. That's that's going to be rough. <laughs> I, I guess you can't beat New York for street cred, but you just might. I'm fine with it. It's It's totally fine with me. We can definitely give the torch to Elixir Kenya for the butterflies and birds and wildlife sightings. That sounds amazing yeah, and to you, you. You'll also get to cross the equator if you want to. What an absolutely <laughs> fantastic idea. And I think, I mean, aside from, you know, obviously we're all very excited to like see amazing animals. Um, you know, I think, it's it's a part of the community that is very geographically far away from lots of other like sections of the elixir and the tech community you know there's a lot of elixir conferences that happen in the united states and then there's like the code beam conferences there's a code beam eu there's elixir conf eu um but i don't think that most of us have gotten a chance to really participate or sort of meet or experience elixirists and sort of other technologies uh, technologists, excuse me, in Kenya. And I think it would be, I, I mean, I love what you guys are trying to do. It's not a hard sell to get us to come to such an incredible sounding place and experience all these cool things. Um, but I mean, the real like, you know, thrust of it underneath that is to bring together these communities outside of the online space where they have been connecting and flourishing. And I would love, love, love to see that happen and be a part of that. So you can definitely count on the uh, Beam Radio team to help you guys spread the word as you start organizing. Thank you so much, Sophie. Oh, I was going to ask about since, you know, we've been kind of going through a timeline of where you've been um, growing the Elixir community, growing Podi. And then at some point, I know you and I worked together at Frame. And so you've been also embedding yourself into these other Elixir companies. Um, and so I was just curious about, you know, 
where your journey has taken you from starting your company, starting to embed in other companies, what it's like to embed in um, Elixir teams around the world. Because now I, I know you're working with a team in Germany as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting because uh, it looks like a hell lot to do. But uh, the main reason as to why uh, I, I met you, Meryl, at uh, Frame.io, right? Uh, which was later bought by Adobe. So the main reason as to why I chose to embed into other companies is because uh, of the experience. So my experience level was not that high. And I needed a real big code base to work with so that I can teach exactly, I can teach people better. I remember talking to probably Francesco and uh, my analogy for that was, yes, I'm able to build a building in Elixir, but I can't go more than three stories high. I need to be able to build a 12-story building. For me to build a 12-story building, I need more experience on how to do a four-story, five, six, up to 12. Main reason as to why I do embed into the big and existing uh, systems because they have different kinds of challenges. They solve them completely differently and it's so far away from uh, the training of add one plus three that will be the result and all that. So the design architecture and just how people think in the big teams, it's diverse, it's mind uh, boggling, it's intriguing, and it just gives you a way better way of thinking about design and implementation and problem solving. Yeah. So uh, currently I'm with uh, Pulpo. It's a German company that works with the warehouses and they have a really massive... Uh, from the outside, it looks like a very small thing to do and have. But if you look at the number of integrations and the amount of things they are able to do, and if you have a look at the code base, then you really have to think about how, when, and what is to be done because there are microservices, there are different gen servers doing a whole lot of different things at different times, and warehouses don't need to fail because they deliver things. So you can't afford to fail. For that to be possible, um, what I usually do, again, is just spawn up a few people to take care of a lot of the things. So I'd, I just need to steer and just sit down, um, only be consulted when really necessary, but everything else keeps running on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, so I have an amazing team uh, continuing to work at Podi. It's very cool that you get to... Um you've really made inroads with all these different Elixir communities by virtue of having, you know, so many friends now at these companies and places that you've worked and people that have been lucky to have you on their teams at the same time. Um, it's a very cool model of getting to see different ways of working and also bring them to other people as you're, as you're going to these different places. I'm curious um, to hear more about you know, you talk, I love this analogy, by the way, of I can build a three-story building, but I can't build a 12-story building. Um, can you share any of the specifics or the lessons that you took away from some of these experiences as you've embedded in or participated with different types of Elixir teams around the world? Huh. Um, let me see. I, I think also there was a question asked by a member of the Elixir Kenya community last week. And they asked me how I organize my code. Um, and she actually asked me, do you do it the Bruce way or how do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> the Bruce way. I love it. I want yeah, everyone um, to organize their code the Bruce way for the record. Yes. So I told her, you need to do it the Bruce way. But it depends on where you're coming in from. If you have an existing code base or you have a team that has a style guide and a way of working, then you need to work like them. So that's some of the things I've learned. There's no right way of doing something. And of course, the group of engineers will always see how messed up the code base is at one point or another. And when you try to blame someone, it's always back to you. So <laughs> do get blame. It's always you who wrote that particular code. Yep. So <laughs> I had I that advised experience her, today, actually. <laughs> yeah, I actually advised her that you can do code the Bruce way if you're the one starting the code base, 
if you're the one organizing and setting the rules. But if you find a place which has different rules and the code base is huge, you need to engage, talk to them, and tell them the advantages that you think this will do. Look at this versus what the business considers as profitable and if it's worth your time, then you can start working towards it. Uh, Matt, Matt Enlo, uh, who is still at uh, Adobe, he's been working on a refactor for the past, I think, two years, on and off, probably. And uh, it's been paying off from what he'd said at the at the conference last week. Uh, it's been a refactor that was worth it. It's taken quite a long time, and the business was willing and able to support that. So those are the different uh, dynamics that I do learn from different people and how to make it possible. Yeah. And for and our think... listeners, Sigu, what is the Bruce way? Real, like, <laughs> what's the TLDR, the two-sentence Bruce way for anyone Bruce who doesn't way. know? Number one, separate the pure from the impure. Always separate the pure from the impure to make it testable and small, concise. Number two, uh, you have the CRC. Uh, remember where you're constructing stuff. You remember where you're just putting things together for processing. Then start processing and always make sure that what you're processing is probably what you're getting out. So it's the reducer. Do as much as you can. Think about the Phoenix plug, uh, the Phoenix pipeline, which just processes the plug all the way to the end. Then you convert, which means... Uh, you can decide to show it to the user or present it to the user or do it in another format for uh, another consumption that is for further reducing before you finally convert to uh, for viewing or the ultimate result that you get. So Bruce famously calls it CRC. Uh, construct, reduce, then convert. And by the way, if you want to see those concepts, you can see them in um, in Programming Phoenix Live View, written with Sophie, and also in Designing Elixir Systems with OTP, written with with James Gray. And also the talk that Sigu referenced was at Geek City Elixir. And one of the things about that refactoring project, and, and the talk was with Greg Mefford um, at Adobe, and the tools that they used to do the refactoring were automated and they worked on the AST. So that's pretty cool, right? So there are, there's the idea that you could have, um, you could have something like Credo that analyzes your code and and checks a box or leaves something unchecked when something steps out of bounds and raises a warning, or you could have a tool that automatically fixes some of these concepts um, based on opinions and the code base, which is pretty interesting. We only have five minutes left, you guys. What are we, there's so many other things we could talk about, but we only have five of those minutes left. Um, I think what we could do is maybe hear a little bit about Gig City from those of you that were there since we've been talking so much about conferences. I would love to get Sigu's opinion on, um, on what you saw at Gig City Elixir. Oh. That's really open-ended. <laughs> Let me think real quick. Uh, what I saw at uh, Gig City. Um, there was... Um, oh, it was really cold in there. <laughs> Americans love air conditioning. It's always on. You can't open the window. It's always closed. You can only open the blinds. And they put the temperature way down. So I... I needed to have my sweatshirt always on. <laughs> I'm that really aside. glad that you brought that up because I also agree <laughs> that it's way too cold everywhere I go. And I spent a lot of time at Elixir Comp two years ago in Austin just asking the people that were in the venue to turn down the AC like every couple hours. Anyway, please continue. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that was, I was just getting my thoughts together. So, um, in anyway, <laughs> so... For most of the talks, there was diversity in the kind of talks. So we had technical talks coming in, which would dive deep into how to technically achieve stuff. 
for example, the talk uh, about uh, the hospital management system, which will spawn a process for every patient. Main, try to maintain the state of that process as much as possible and just keep adding information on the process. So it was a really amazing way of thinking about uh, that particular process, a uh, particular way of designing software. Uh, it was Brian Hunter. Yeah, it was Brand Hunter that uh, gave the talk. Uh, there was, again, a uh, shameless plug here. Uh, I talked about observability without showing a single line of code. So it was more of showing people why you need to be observable by explaining how aircrafts are safe. Having 22 million flights, but only a recorded 22 accidents. And of all the accidents, we know exactly what happened. And there's always improvement that happens. So uh, the conclusion of that talk was, can we have software that can actually run 22? Uh, can we have 22 million software that runs? 22 of them fails and we know exactly where they fail. We fix it and we just make that talk, uh, uh, not talk, we make that uh software better and better every year as the airlines do so we have a lot to learn from the airlines um the other kind of talks were kind of in the middle i'm trying to remember one yes uh chris kitley who i also met at frame chris kitley uh, was talking about software design and giving very uh, <clears throat> nice opinions on how you need to organize and show your code So those are the quick ones that I can remember. And I'd love to hear, are there any ideas that you would take with you when you do um, the Elixir Kenya conference? Oh, uh, from this particular conference? Yeah. Y yes, definitely. Uh -huh. it's Turn the from... AC way down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> The first thing I will do is uh, kind of behind the scenes, uh, picking up speakers, um, giving them where to be, showing them, making sure they're comfortable on their first, second, third, whichever the day they're in, just because they're new and making sure that they're comfortable and always okay, almost all the time. That's behind the scenes for the speakers. Uh, secondly, just get everything ready weeks to every single damn thing as much as you can just get them ready if it goes wrong sorry it just went wrong you can you always have time to reprint what didn't happen as you expected to um another thing is uh, diversity in terms of speakers so it will be nice to include uh if possible a lot of uh, non-African speakers, a lot of African speakers, a lot of male and a lot of female. So having a balanced uh, speaker panel will be a really great thing to have for the Elixir Conf Africa. Yeah. That's a lot of lot of nice praise for, for what you experienced <laughs> at Gig City without saying yeah. it directly. Very classy. <laughs> I think uh, I think we'll wrap it up on that note since we're unfortunately out of time. Segu, I think we should do this again since we actually only got through like half of the things we wanted to talk about. I would love to dig into some of the observability topics that you discussed in your Gig City talk, uh, which I hope our listeners will be able to check out. I imagine you guys are going to post them, Bruce, um, once you've had the chance to to kind of edit and get everything together. Uh, so yeah, I'll look forward to that. I'm sure the rest of us will as well. And just thank you again for coming. And I'm so excited to see you at MPEX in Brooklyn in June. Yeah, I'm also very excited. I'm seated here patiently waiting for that day before I move over to <laughs> San Francisco next week, uh, the following week. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you again to Sigu, our guest, to Meryl and Lars and Bruce. Thank you to our sponsors. Our sponsors are Underyard and Graxio. Graxio, as you guys know, is career fuel for programmers. Uh, maybe we'll go out on a brief note from our sponsor, since we actually have both of you 
with us today, and that is sometimes a rarity. Any quick updates on what's going on with uh, Graxio and Underyard, respectively? Yes, Graxio has been focused on the conference, and, and we actually have a couple of short trainings coming up. We have a training for OTP on June the 21st. We have a training for LiveView on July the 18th. And those still have a few seats left, even after the conference. So um, anybody wants to join in, uh, check out the website, crocs.io. Thanks, Bruce. And uh, Lars, what's going on with Underyard these days? Recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Elixir devs. Awesome. <clears throat> so I actually had a had a company that first wanted to hire, bring in some people from my team, but then they found out I do recruiting and they're like, yeah, we need six people. I don't have six people, but I can get six people. Uh, so that particular CTO is now swimming in about 10 high caliber candidates. Uh, and that took all of a week. I think he was a little bit surprised. So if you want to find Elixir devs, highly engaged, really enthusiastic ones, usually pretty experienced ones as well, uh, and less experienced ones, just reach out and I can help. It's worked before. Excellent. Thanks, Lars. Uh, and before we go, Sigu, we would love for you to tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, especially if they're interested in working with Podi. So let us know. Okay. Um, so Lars just uh, took a very nice line of uh, who, when you need an experienced developer in uh, Elixir, uh, you can reach out to me before you reach out to him <laughs> for the Elixir community in Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> yeah, so um, yes, Podi is also looking for uh, Elixir gigs. So in case you have any that you love to um, us to talk about, just uh, feel free to reach out on Twitter or send me out an email. We can talk about it. Great. And we'll put that uh, contact info in the show notes if that's okay with you. All right. On that note, thank you again to everyone who joined us today and we'll catch you guys next time on Beam Radio.